Welcome listeners to the 25th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernhardt. With me, as always, are my wonderful co-hosts, the powerful wizards Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. And for the second week in a row, we have a guest. The best of welcomes to Jakob Bergelin, top 8 competitor from the Swedish Legacy Nationals. As always, the warmest welcome to you, dear listeners. Hello, everybody. Hello, I hope you're doing well, and welcome, Jacob. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found every week on the Top Decked app. In today's episode, we will, as usual, report back from the Paper Legacy we played in the past week, but the bulk of this week will be a discussion with our guest, Jacob, about the deck he played to such success in the Nationals last week, 8Cast. To start us off, we'd love to introduce you to our listeners, Jacob. Who are you? When did you pick up Legacy? What do you play? Tell us about yourself. Yes, so uh, my name is Jakob Berlin. I uh, currently live in Uppsala. I am originally from uh, Luleå, so uh, a little bit more from the north of Sweden. I started playing Legacy around the time, it was just before um, the Deathrite Shaman uh, ban. So I started picking up uh, Death and Taxes like everyone else (laughs) when going into Legacy. I really enjoyed that deck for quite a while. And um, then I managed to pick up a playset of Grim Monoliths. So um, then I started with some uh, Eldrazi post. I enjoyed uh, chalicing people out of the game. A true connoisseur, I hear. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And uh, since then, I moved on to uh, some of the finer things in life, Brainstorm and uh, Ponder. <laughs> so I started playing some uh, Delver. And um, yeah, I've been mostly on that, that deck uh, for uh, the, the last, uh, basically the last year or something like that. But I've had some small side projects as well. So um, some depths as well, rainbow depths. <laughs> and uh, even some oops old spells, if I even dare to admit that. <laughs> quite a variety this is yeah this is a broad spectrum yes i have been all over the different play styles of legacy well you are most welcome again to our podcast so on to some paper legacy robin christopher jacob did any of you get to play any paper legacy this week uh, I can start off. I did play some uh, Paper Legacy. I went to the to the Thursday locals and sleeved up uh, Bant midrange, I should say. Bant Miracles, some might call it. Quite the ordinary list, I would say, although I managed to squeeze two counterbalances into the deck because I love that card, and it's really nice with Sylvan Library. <laughs> and that, dick, uh, that uh, card really performed for me. But I went 3-1. Uh, I beat Elves in two, three very close games, I should say, that went to time, and he was nice enough to to scoop to my board state, because uh, I, I would not have been able to finish it off. And then I did beat Jund, you know how it is, playing Uro against black decks. Then I lost to D&T, Kaldra, and seven or more mana was <laughs> too big of a hurdle to overcome. And then I met a very spicy donate deck that I succeeded to beat. So that was my magic this week. What was the donation in the donate? It's the uh, it's the Liliana pact, like the four mana one, right? Demonic pact, two and two black. At the beginning of your upkeep, choose one that hasn't been chosen. Demonic pact deals four damage to target creature or player, and you gain four life. Or 
target opponent discards two cards or draw two cards. And the final one is you lose the game. So you basically hold on to this during three turns and then you donate it and the opponent loses the game. Really sweet. Yeah, I have one super important question. You said that you ran two counterbalances. Whenever you blind flipped, did you have like a like a, a small sound? Like the slow, you do the slow roll flip and they go, ooh, yeah, guess, guess it's countered. Yeah, you, you should have some sort of uh, some sort of gambling sound, I guess, where it's like, da-da. <laughs> I mean, this card is the very definition of a slow roll. Like, I'm gonna donate this to you. Wait for it. <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> Fourth start, you lose the game. Yeah, I played. I played that deck in standard, but uh, <gasps> <laughs> without the donate part, <laughs> I just tried to bounce it uh, to my own hand after oh. before I lost. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, this was uh, at my kitchen table time of Magic the Gathering, so. <laughs> <laughs> I just realized that he did play a lot of bounce spells, and I can see why now. But that card never resolved in our games, <laughs> I should say. Oh, okay. That's unfortunate. Well then, Christopher, did you get any play done? Yeah, I also went to the local game store, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I was a bit uh, Alloran burnt out, so I sleeved up my Jeskai Vial, which is, uh, like, super simple concept. Cut all the black from Esper Vial to put in two extra recruiters, and of course a goblin settler so you oh can start God. stone raining people and i did assemble soul herder uh, i did assemble like soul herder goblin settler a couple of times but uh, yeah this is not a good deck and uh, yeah <laughs> I, I went i went one to one and uh, i just had a great time you know beat beat espiorion <laughs> like the the vile mirror because uh, yeah that that deck has a shaky mana base, and <laughs> for some reason I'm playing Settler Soul Herder. Then I just lost to Elves uh, because how can I beat that? Lost to Lands, <laughs> which was absolutely brutal. <laughs> Drew against like four four color Marcasia control. Oh sweet! But uh, yeah, so that that was a, a draw, like a, a super fun game. And the funniest thing about the Lands thing was we were the last people playing in the store. And I, I remember Robin and people came by, you know, to see the ending. And then, you know, my, my opponent uh, had a Valakut expiration in play and, you know, ripped the Shoke with a Tabernacle in play and I was pretty much tapped out. I was like, ah, oh, this is looking grim. Okay, shook his hand. And then we were like, yeah, so it's 2-0 for him. <laughs> so it was like, not even the last, like, <laughs> we weren't in the third game. It was just like that, my deck was that slow <laughs> and like, dirtly. But yeah, so that was my paper week. It was pretty great. And I, I lost a bit, but I had so much fun. Well played. How about you, Jacob? Did you get any play done or were you all burnt out from your excellent success at Nationals? I have not been able to play any paper magic, unfortunately. I have been playing um, some online, though, to prepare for uh, Eternal Weekend. So, yes, I got a little golden ticket to acquire all the cards. So, um, yeah. I've been, uh, but then I've just been playing the same deck I've been playing <laughs> forever. So. <laughs> so I was just gonna say, you, of course, you immediately went out and built a demonic pack donate <laughs> goblin settlers combo. Not, not, not quite. But uh, maybe that's the the next one <laughs> that I'm gonna try. Well then, are you, are you playing all three? Are you playing all three Eternal Weekend Legacy events, or are you sort of holding in on the one? I'm probably just gonna do the one. I think it's the 
the bayou painting one because it's the i think it starts at uh, 10 in the morning here so it's the most reasonable uh, time to start a tournament like you you keep that uh, super account for like a week after the tournament weekend right so you can do all the silly things after exactly <laughs> it um i think uh, you keep all the cards until uh, until the first of december so there's plenty of time for uh, nonsense afterwards <laughs> awesome well that's great for myself i did not get any play done uh, things are looking logistically really rough towards the end of this year but then i have really good hopes for the future uh, when things are shifting a bit but now on to the discussion that we are very happy to host this week the swedish inventions in eight cost jacob what about if you just take us through this deck please how it works how the innovation process and your thoughts with your uh, colleagues went uh, going into nationals take it away please all right Yes, I saw um, going into um, testing for uh, for uh, the nationals. I started seeing uh, some of these uh, eight cost deck pop up on uh, Magic Online results, and then I realized I own basically all the cards, so might as well uh, try it. But I. First of all, I started thinking about the deck. Like I, I usually do that. Um, I'm not the <laughs> the disciplined person who tries a deck and then changes what uh, doesn't work. I just change it straight away. Can relate. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the original versions were playing um, some amounts of uh, Lion's Eye Diamonds and Echo of Eons. The kind of combinations where you just get a time twister. Like the Ursa decks. Like the... Yes, exactly. But um, it didn't really make sense to me in um, these versions because, uh, well, I guess I can talk a little bit about the main game plan first of the deck, which is you play all these um, zero mana uh, artifacts, you have your Lotus Petals, uh, Mox Opals, and then Mishra's Baubles and Ursus Baubles. And the idea of these are to power out early Emery uh, Lurker the Lock or Thoughtcast or Thought Monitor to just keep drawing into more gas, basically. Um, and then you have Psy, which is the main powerhouse uh, or finisher in the deck that synergizes as well with all these uh, zero mana artifacts. And of course, a little Ursa Saga to top it off. Everyone's favorite uh, three for one land. And of course, you can't leave home without the Chalice of the Voids. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so when I started thinking about um, LEDs and um, Echo Vions, first of all, when you don't play four of each, it uh, can happen quite a lot that they are just stranded in your hand. If you draw the LED without the Echo or vice versa, then it's basically a dead card in your hand. Also, since the deck is so focused on card advantage with all these divinations for one mana, why would I want to wheel and give my opponent seven cards again after I already make all this card advantage? Yeah, yeah that's a bad deal. Yeah, exactly. That was my thought as well. And the last point is that when you are wheeling, do you really just want to wheel into more divinations? It's like an endless uh, spinning of the wheels that doesn't really accomplish that much. I would say if uh, Marcus Ewald was here, he would say, yes, of course, that's what you want to do. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it really does make sense uh, when you don't play the Nar sets and the Hull Breachers that the other deck does as well. Exactly. 
Yes, I think uh, in that in that deck it makes a lot of sense because then you're trying to assemble a combo to basically mind twist your opponent at the same time you draw seven cards. But in this one, I think maybe I haven't talked to the original creator of the deck that in some way when you wheel you can go off even harder with Psy to get even more Thoptush, but you already go off pretty hard with Psy, so <laughs> I feel like it uh, was a little bit win more. Yes, so I guess that leads to some of the innovations, I guess we can call them that, for the Nationals. I wanted to test uh, making the deck a little bit more uh, stable in some way. So I cut the LEDs and the Echoes, and then we added in two more lands, because originally the land was playing 14 lands, which is (laughs) quite low, even though there's a lot of air in the deck. I cut the two islands that were there and added these wonderful uh, legacy playable tap lands. <laughs> oh man. Uh, yes, <laughs> I promise they play better than they look. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually thought about it a bit. We were talking about the deck list in the car on the way home. I can't remember who it was, if it was Victor or someone was like, what is that? Or maybe if it was Robin. And I was like, isn't it one of those, you know, tap lands from Modern Rises 2? But they they are indestructible. So you're like the the tempo loss. You can feel it, but this deck can recover from tempo. Like tempo loss is really good since it draws so many cards. I I, I see it. It's very, it seems very cool. Yes, exactly. The indestructible part is very important. I don't think it would be worth it without that. Uh particular keyword or what to say on the card because it's mainly to be more stable against delver and lands because there you can get wastelanded out of the game pretty easily and it's very nice to just lead on this tap tap land uh, on turn one have it be indestructible and then you can still get on with your game plan i think um, another part where the tap lands coming very clutch is um, when mulliganing or having low resource games because it is a critical mass deck, so you need these, you need artifacts in play to get more artifacts, because you need to be able to cast your thought costs. So, so in that sense, it sort of taps for mana being in an artifact, just as an island would do. Yes, exactly. Because a lot of the times, or let's say, put it like this: the games you lose is where you don't get to cast your spells or your thought costs. I had a lot of times when testing with islands uh, where you would have a bunch of baubles in play, but you wouldn't have another land. So you want to hit another land, but if you draw into a thought cost, you can't cast the thought cost. (laughs) So (laughs) you can't really crack the baubles to cycle through your deck. So you just have to sit there and hope everything works out. (laughs) Island is also so so awkward with uh, opals. Like the Max Opals, and that's when I've played the the Ursa deck, I really felt sometimes that you know I wish this wasn't just an island. But at the same time, in that deck, like blue count is a lot heavier than than here. It's not as many like double blue spells. I I think only Force of Will, but you you rarely use that for <laughs> for double blue anyway. So the mana seems pretty good in this deck. Uh, like you can cast anything with almost any land. It, it seems like. Yes, I think um, when you when you don't get like land screwed or wasteland locked or whatever, it's it's really smooth. It's it's like uh, butter. <laughs> and then to finish it off, I added as well just uh, the fourth Chalice of the Void 
and Spellbomb from the sideboard to the main deck. The Spellbomb was amazing all uh, weekend at Nationals. I bounced uh, a lot of uh, Constructs and Murktides and the Marit Lages. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about you have um, you brought such a lovely sideboard as well. So you have I mean, easy easy ones, so four Force of Negation, uh, a Gravstigger's Cage, two Torpor Orb, two Dismember. These feels like sort of metagame choices, uh, good cyborg plants against... Uh, I played Reanimator against you, for example, in our uh, first round, and uh, I felt that uh, post-cyborg. Yeah. <laughs> the, the four Forces of Negation were um, really good. But then you also have, and I just love these cards, i uh, love for you to talk a bit about them, two Girapur Ether Grid and two Court of Cunning. And I'm just going to read these cards because I'm not sure all of our listeners have them of heart. Girapur Edegrid is an enchantment for two in a red that reads tap two untapped artifacts you control. Girapur Edegrid deals one damage to any target. So basically tapping your artifacts for the win. You make them prodigal sorcerers uh, in a way. And then Court of Cunning for those who missed out on this glorious card. Enchantment for one and two blue. When Court of Cunning enters the battlefield you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep any number of target players each mill two cards. If you are the monarch each of those players mills ten cards instead. And of course you will be the monarch because you have so many thopters always in play. How did these these very spicy cyborg cards work out for you? These cards were actually amazing as well <laughs> during uh, the weekend. Um, I can talk first uh, of all about, uh, I guess, uh, the Girapur Aether Grids are um, one of the reasons where we played the uh, Taplands as well, just to make it a little bit easier with a red splash. I wanted something for Death and Taxes and uh, Green Sun Zenith decks, just so that you can have an answer to collector roof when you already have <laughs> the problem is you need to put it into play before the oof hits the table <laughs> there are zero red mana sources <laughs> that are not artifacts <laughs> right <laughs> yes but uh, these cards are also i brought it in against as well in the mirror it's really good there because usually it ends up with a thousand thopters on each side and you just play the grid and it's Gave over on the spot as well against. Uh, I have played it before in a in a local tournament against a Sultai control deck that played a lot of the Strixes and uh, Ice Fan Kotals. And uh, there as well, it's kind of an insurance against the collector roof, but you can also get in your constructs through these uh, blockers. I love that innovation. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes, and as well. DNT is actually uh, quite a rough matchup, I would say. It um, depends on how fast your hand is, but Thalia is really annoying. Spirit of the Labyrinth is really annoying. Kadra Complete is impossible to get through with the constructs. <laughs> and also in game one, if you happen to have a Chalice, it's it's really risky to play it on one because they can flicker with spit and it goes back on zero. And then you are screwed. Mm, that zero flicked chalice of the void. I've done that so many times. It feels so <laughs> some good. Some shit ain't right. It, uh, so, and some shit is just so right. I'm just saying, some shit ain't right. Some shit, you just want all of that shit in the big, big bucket. Mm. I have also flickered my fair share of chalice of the voids in my days. Look at this excellent gentleman right here. It's so incredibly good against Bomberman, like back in the day when when it was like, yeah, I'm gonna Bomberman my LED and then 
pyrite spell bomb you and they just flick a wisp your chalice on one and you're like oh how do i win now <laughs> it's like maybe i draw my deck with a zero mana no i can't do that it's just i'm a beat, bad beat down deck now yes it's it's pretty rough one thing that this particular deck can do is sai can sacrifice the chalice so but still <laughs> it can be you even have an out for that <laughs> So what about the Court of Cunning? The Court of Cunnings were... I was expecting a lot of lands, and the Court of Cunning is a house against lands. They pretty much never get through the Thopter army unless there's some uh, tabernacle nonsense going on. But uh, it's just a win con without needing the combat step. It's also really good against the control decks. So even though they might get through a Nullrod or a Collector Roof, if you have this in play, they still need to get the, get the monarch back or they're just gonna uh, deck so it was kind of a multi-purpose card i wanted something that makes you able to win without combat as well if there's some uh, random uh, prison deck playing a lot of uh, ensnaring bridge because you actually don't have an out to ensnaring bridge through like a painter and stuff as well we didn't see that much prison uh, in uh, Boros, did we? No, we were expecting Blood Moon decks, which really didn't show up. They would have been good, I think, looking at <laughs> which decks were successful in the tournament. Yes, they probably would have been great. <laughs> I did play against Painter once, which had access to the Ensnaring Bridge, but uh, it didn't end up mattering. So are the dismembers also for Collector Oof decks, or is it more against Aggro decks? It's... Mainly against Ragavan, because uh, Ragavan is a pain in the ass unless you get out uh, like a quick sigh or something, because you actually aren't able to block the Ragavan for quite some time. And also the Ragavan will be able to cast virtually all of your deck. Exactly. The whole deck... (laughs) Ragavan hitting chalice. Ragavan hitting chalice. Oh, I'll play it on zero. That happened in the tournament. <laughs> oh no. My painter opponent played a Ragavan turn one and then hit chalice of the top. But thankfully, I because there is uh, one thing that is awkward against the Ragavan as well. Because you usually don't want to play out all your zeros unless you have to. Because you want to save them for a Psy, for example. But fortunately this time, I, I played around the chalice of the top. <laughs> so I played out my zeros and I got instantly rewarded. <laughs> this play pattern, it's wrong. <laughs> it's, a, it's wizards do something. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You, Christopher's been fine with fire design all up until chalice on zero becomes a thing. And then, then this, this I need, breaks I you. need to draw the line. So, tell us a little bit about uh, the tournament. You top eight, but uh, sort of what was your way there? You don't have to go through every match just to give us. I have a little uh, notepad of the matchups, at least. I don't have to go through the all, but maybe what I faced, yeah. at least. Please, please. Let's see. Yeah, so uh, uh, round one, Victor and I face off in, in an epic <laughs> battle of the ages. <laughs> I managed to. You don't have to. You don't have to sugarcoat <laughs> this part. You can t- tell us about how you killed Victor in front of the whole room. It was actually, it was pretty good games, except for when 
you know, you could just get Grissel branded. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, that was a 2-1. I remember it was uh, game one. I was on the play and the chalice on one plus force of will, but Victor just crushed me anyway, as they do. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, drawing seven with Grissel brand is so unfair. Thought monitor, <laughs> thought cast, thought cast, go. Yes, exactly. You know, some things are just a little bit more fair than other things. But uh, oh, I guess uh, the most important uh, or memorable match was our game three at least. There was a lot of shenanigans going on, literally the card shenanigans. And uh, a, g- <laughs> a grief almost going the full 20 damage. <laughs> it was super exciting because I, ha- I had to sort of keep shenanigansing your things in order to get things into my graveyard because I had reanimation cards in hand. But if the in the end, basically... Whichever card I shenanigans is a benefit to you because you just get them back and can use them again. So I have to make a decision every upkeep. Do I want to do a bad shenanigans this turn too with the potential upside of getting a card in my graveyard? Or do I just want to draw cards and then do nothing? Because, of course, if I don't do anything, uh, you can just get more artifacts back from your graveyard. So it's a way to sort of slow you down a bit and hit again with grief. And uh, it, 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 I got pretty far. It was, uh, I think it was down to four or something. So. Yeah, something like that. But it was pretty funny, the little dance there between shenanigans every turn and Emery every turn. <laughs> so <laughs> it was almost a bit like some welder action going on. Yeah, no, I, I did not feel bad about losing that third game because that was great, great legacy. Yes. Yeah, it kind of feels like the shenanigans plan is like a differential equation that's not really going your way, Victor, but I still admire it. <laughs> and it's like, it, it sounds like it was pretty close. I mean, if you hit a really good target, the game could just be over, right? Exactly. Would you would you say that that matchup is favorable for 8-cast? I would say it is heavily dependent on play and draw. But I think I feel, if because if I don't win game one, it's pretty hard to win both cyborged games, I think. Yeah, like historically, there aren't that many like Chalice Force decks. So having, you know, Chalice Force feels really good, but then cards like Shenanigans can really make things messy. But especially if, if they have an opportunity to entomb for it or something, it can be like super stressful, I guess. Yes. Yeah, and also, I mean, in the third game, uh, you started off by having triple forces, and then you still had to sort of really claw your way back into the game, and I think that says a lot about sort of how game three will go if you lost game one. Yes. Uh, you need to have really all of the resources, but then again, your deck is packed with resources after sideboarding, and you drew them, so I mean, that's perfectly fair. Yes, I think uh, it's all about surviving the first couple of turns, and then you just bury, bury them in a card advantage, and you draw up a million forces and you will start to get your grave hate as well but i think it's it's really scary unless you're on the play and can, can have chalice in game one you're not going to win with just a force of will well as we know you're not, you're not going to win with chalice turn one in game one anyway on the play <laughs> fair enough yeah i was i was feeling pretty confident but then you just go discard to hand size grizzle brand untap grief lotus petal animate dead Draw field 14, discard three more cards. <laughs> yeah, that was um, impressive of the poetic. Yes, exactly. All right. The next round, I was playing against my good friend uh, Joel Grenehed on uh, Delver. Previous guest of the cast. Yes. It was uh, a bit unfortunate because we were playing in the team event together. So we didn't. Yeah, it was a bit awkward because 
the individual results also counted towards the team results. But I pretty much crushed him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I had Chalice uh, on one. Delver is not equipped to handle a resolved Chalice on one at the moment. It was pretty close. Um, it almost went his way because he got to resolve a big Merc Tide in game one. But I managed to just draw some blockers and uh, finally find an Emery to just recast my Thought Monitor from the graveyard every time it had to jump. Mm, wow, that's dirty. <laughs> I think the Delver matchup is uh, quite favorable. It You usually win game one. And then game two, you just have to, or game two and three, you have to manage to not get owned by Meltdown twice. <laughs> Ooh. But that's where you have that beautiful, beautiful tap land. You're like the only one standing <laughs> post-Meltdown. Exactly. The silver bluff. <laughs> yes. That is actually, I think, a big reason why the, the Delver matchup is favorable right now. Because uh, I played a, a lot uh, against UL with the 14 land, 2 island version as well. And uh, you just get wrecked by uh, Wasteland sometimes. And Meltdown is brutal after sideboard. But the next round, I faced Elves. Actually, the the player who won the tournament later on. It was a very, very close uh, game one that I punted away. Actually, I played Chalice on one into my own Chalice on two. So um, that one is uh, the one you most forget as a Chalice of the Void player. Uh, I hope people can uh, relate to that or I'm alone. <laughs> yes, but Elves is uh, quite a difficult matchup because you can't really interact with Allosaurus Shepherd. And uh, then they just kill you because the clock is not fast enough and um, it's pretty rough. Unless you have Girapur Aedrogrid. <laughs> then it's easy peasy. <laughs> Round four, I played against Blue White Standstill, Artifact stuff. I don't didn't really see that much of their deck because Chalice of the Void is one hell of a card. It was a pretty quick uh, 2-0. Were they leaning into like Ursa Sagas as threats to you know sneak some constructs in under under a standstill? Yes, they were playing um, Esper Sentinel as well, uh, so they were actually going a little bit harder on the artifact uh, synergies. They even had the artifact tapland, so we were tapland bros uh, <laughs> in that round. <laughs> yes, but. Um, Basically, my constructs were bigger. Yeah, like you play so many artifacts. I was thinking about that. Like, how how can any artifact deck make bigger constructs? It it feels impossible. Yeah, it's um it's easily the best uh, deck for Ursa Saga. It's uh, I've been playing a lot against lands as well with Ursa Saga, and they make like a one one, and then two two twos, and mine are like ten tens. So it's uh huge difference you win all the saga battles you're not even scared of the opponent's saga yeah i can i can really like in in combat especially i think uh, like maybe if you have another angle like the uh, painter decks you know getting grindstone or something but if you're a really heavy ursa saga deck getting that grindstone is pretty pretty much equal to having that 12 12 construct tokens it's like it's pretty lethal anyways so yeah it's exactly it's super cool i think this is the best saga deck as well of course painter can be yeah when they get something really important off the saga it can be scary as well i guess the most in for example against lance or something i'm mo mostly scared of a pithing needle coming out of the saga not the saga ex itself or the expedition map finding tabernacle that is the most scary part 
next round, I play against Reanimator again, against a good friend uh, Donald. He, uh, I managed to win 2-1. It was also really close. We actually went to time in some some way, <laughs> but it was actually really grindy matches, except for game one, you know. <laughs> yes, but uh, it went my way. It's um, another thing that's really scary out of Reanimator is the Serenities out, uh, out of the sideboard because they also just kill everything. Yeah, I remember trying to resolve one in our second game and you're just like, well, I'm going to have to force this now because otherwise I will just completely lose this game. And you had a force. <laughs> yeah. But it must be so great to play eight forces in an eight cast deck. I mean, like drawing back the cards that you sort of waste pitching to forces. That must be a really good feeling. Yes, I think um, the only thing that is a little bit awkward in game game one is that you, your blue count or your blue card count is pretty low. It's only 20 blue cards and all the blue cards are the good cards. Yeah. Yeah, the bangers, the size and the emeralds. Exactly. It feels pretty bad to pitch a thought cost to your force of will. But yes, I think the forces <laughs> synergize really well with just a draw your deck plan and then just counter everything that is actually scary. Emotional free for one when you're pitching a thought monitor. <laughs> you're like emotional free for oneing myself right now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I can sort of dig that you're playing like uh, play sets of legends. So if you have one of the legend in play, you can always pitch the other one to forcible. I like that. Yes, I think that that is uh, usually what what uh, what happens. You're pretty happy with uh, pitching a like an extra Psy or Emery. But it also makes it a little bit awkward. One more thing about the forces is that because the blue count is uh, so low, you sometimes don't, you can't afford to play your thought costs because you're not sure you can draw into another blue card. So that is something that comes up quite a lot in game one against combo decks where you can't really refill your hand because you need that blue card. Mm. But it gets better after board because then it's like, six more blue cards <laughs> coming in yeah I, I definitely felt that as well uh, during the nationals but playing aluren especially if you're on an 80 card version and you're sitting with one blue card and it's quattel and it's end of turn you're like yeah i'm just gonna untap and draw my <laughs> card against combo you're like i'm not gonna do this play that i would always do otherwise it's insane yes that is a common thing that you have to think about about the deck when playing it at least against the scary matchups as well against the non-scary matchups after board because they have scary cards after board <laughs> then the round after that round six i play against painter i win 2-0 game one is the ragavan steal your chalice game which i somehow managed to win but uh, i think my opponent uh, punted the match a couple of times he even got to resolve a card in the great creator which uh, was pretty <laughs> scary as well. But I had two 10-10s, so... Uh, <laughs> and uh, he he didn't get an ensnaring bridge, so I was very happy about that. Yeah, he made some punts to game one. And then in game two, he played a turn one, Blood Moon. It didn't really matter. I didn't have the, sh the saga anyway, so I just played a Chalice on one, and then I played a Chalice on two, and then he scooped. <laughs> <laughs> oh. yeah. And he's like, yes, Blood Moon, such a great start. Slam that, and then sort of stop. Yeah, it was uh, it was stop. He missed land drops and he used like a petal and a simian spirit guide and yeah, so it was pretty straightforward after that. So he forgot he forgot to play the chalice and zero. That's 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 the problem. Yeah, because I mean chalice is really good against painter, both on one and on two. 
Yeah, it's brutal on one. I think he showed me as well. He only had uh, two abrades as outs. And he, he shut off his own uh, saga, so he couldn't even get the uh, grindstone through a saga because he had the blood moon in play. He's <laughs> like, the, the listeners can't see this, but we have a video chat going on here and sort of just Christopher thinking about the chalice on one when you play painter and sort of the horror in your face, <laughs> the depression. Yeah, it's it's terrible. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, then the one of the latest editions, which is a really good out for painter on chalice, is Karn. It's it's a really brutal one, but if if you go turn one blood moon, burning a petal and a spirit guide, and then miss land drops, you know, getting to four and resolving it against a possibly eight force <laughs> <laughs> deck, I think you're in a in a bad spot, exactly. <laughs> to say the least. And also had an emery in play, so I draw two cards a turn. So it's also <laughs> just put him out of his misery. <laughs> move on, move on. Exactly. We've seen enough. Like, you can o- almost question to even keeping Blood Moon in such a deck against the Artifact Mana deck, right? Yeah, I think it was a mistake. Because his uh, sagas are actually really scary, getting the Grindstone into play. Because I can't counter it, and I can't chalice it. So, yeah, I think there were some punts all around in this matchup. But it was the... Was it the... Round 6. We were all tired. It happens. I, I really guess that in that matchup, you don't want to go into a drawn-out game. Uh, because late game, you will draw more cards than the Painter player. And even if... They, they really have to bank on Ensnaring Bridge. So having, you know, a tutor for Grindstone to, like, cheese the opponent early is extremely good, I guess. Yes, I think so too. And also it's, like... Yeah, I think... There's my my sagas are better at making huge contract constructs that win the game, but getting a grindstone is extremely scary for me. <laughs> All right, so round seven, I play the mirror, but it's the one version with echo and LED, so not with the red splash. The mirror is pretty awful, not gonna lie. It's it's basically who gets the most constructs wins or get an Embry plus either spellbomb block against. Uh, the good cards because um, in uh, game one we both make a million thopters and my opponent gets a saga gets a big construct but we ha- he played a chalice on one because he didn't know what i was playing and he had a the shadow spear stranded in his hand so he couldn't get into play so he couldn't get through with his uh, constructs i get a saga i get <laughs> huge constructs and i get the shadow spear and then it's just game over game two i get to win with my aether grid so that oh, was, that's sweet. That was nice. <laughs> I just had like 10 Thopters and I just... Either grid? <laughs> pew, pew, pew. <laughs> but the mirror is uh, actually... It's pretty boring. Because you just sit there. Whoever starts drawing cards usually wins. And that was the end. Or there were the last round in the Swiss, I draw with... Uh, I don't remember his name. But I, I remember I was happy because I think he was playing Reanimator. So... <laughs> I was happy to draw the the last round. Oh, it was Tinfin's deck, probably. It, it was it was the person oh. who killed me in round four. Oh, like not even. It was terrible. It was Tinfin's. It was a very cool deck, transformational into Doomsday. So he got to kill me in two different ways in two games. <laughs> Super cool. But a very fast deck. It's nice to lose to two different combo decks in the same match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Reanimator with force backup always feels great to face against. Yeah, I told everybody, like, oh, let's play some Dark Ritual matchups today with my 80 card. 
<laughs> with my 80 card 4 mana enchantment deck. Let's go! Yeah, but it was a lot of combo in the in the room. A lot of combo and a lot of lands is what I saw at least. Hard mode. That's, that's also true. <laughs> yes, well, uh, going into the top 8, I played the quarterfinals against my teammate uh, David Åberg. Also on the same deck, same list. I shipped the list to him uh, before the event. He played a little bit of a different sideboard, but basically the same thing. This was pretty funny because I was on the play and I got to do the, the cheese strat. Because if you're on the play and know the matchup, you can play out your zeros and then you can play a chalice on zero. <laughs> <laughs> wow. To a teammate. You did that to a teammate. It's beautiful. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry, David, if you're listening to this. Yeah, so after that, it was pretty quick. Some back and forth, but uh, game two was also pretty quick. I got an Emery going fast and then... Uh, it just spiraled out of control when I got to spell bomb all of his constructs. And uh... so on to the semifinals. Played against Blue Green Omnitel. I think this matchup is quite good, but sometimes they have the nuts. <laughs> You're never safe. That's the problem with Omnitel. You're never safe. If you can resolve a chalice on one, they usually then they have to have the combo. And they have to have force. And usually you can also have a force and then you just bury them in card advantage. But this time it didn't work. In uh, game game one I just lost because uh, I had a chalice on one but I didn't draw two forces. And he had the combo plus force of will which was sad. Game two I also had chalice on one. And I had two forces this time. So <laughs> it goes to combo off. And this is also... Not because I had it on the play turn one. So no cantrips before this point. Had a combo. Force a will back up. I double force. Next turn I mistress bobble him. I saw a CS show and tell on top. (laughs) And then I just die. That was um, a pretty sad ending to a great day. But uh, I'm still very happy with my top four. Of course, that's a that's a great great achievement. I wonder when we will get the Jesus bubble, so you can <laughs> fate seal your opponent with your bubble. You're like, Ooh. oh, you put that on the bottom. Wow, that's, pa- that's a power creep. I would <laughs> approve of. Oh yeah, maybe it's too powerful for now, but in 2023 we'll have it. No uh, fire design. It's uh... hire me, wizards. So that was my uh, tournament uh, report, I guess. So how was your how was your overall like impressions playing like Legacy at this event going to Boros? Did you have a good time? I had a great time. It was really fun. After I haven't been play been able to play Paper Legacy for I mean during COVID and everything like that. It was amazing to just get to go and play actual Paper Legacy. I've been playing a little bit with some friends here in Uppsala, but. There's not a lot of local tournaments here in Uppsala, unfortunately. We, if we're lucky, we get uh, one each month. Shout out to Prisfindet. <laughs> exactly. Should uh, up the number of uh, tournaments, I think. It would be very nice. But yeah, then you're welcome to come to Stockholm. You can all jump in a car. We have a tournament each Thursday. Yeah, I know it's a long drive, and especially if you've been working all day. <laughs> it's <just> like... <laughs> Let's go to Örnsberg in Stockholm. Yeah, we have been thinking about it, but uh, usually it ends up people just being tired. And then uh, I don't even know if we have someone who has a car. So it's uh, I guess we have to go with uh, with Pendel. Uh... <laughs> oh, that's a long pendel. <laughs> that's a long pendel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the ride home. 
<laughs> like, why did we? <laughs> you're home at like half, like at one, <laughs> one a.m. Exactly. in the morning. You're like, we do hope to get some uh, some Saturday Sunday larger tournaments rolling uh, in the in the next year, uh, unless sort of European COVID numbers sort of you know gets to us again. But we'll see about that. Yes. No, but it was amazing playing Paper Legacy again. It was so much fun. I was a little bit down on Legacy for a little while. I sold my Ragavans before because I wasn't really excited to play Delver. But when I found uh, this magnificent deck, it uh, brought me back to the format. <laughs> yeah, I, I knew you were a good... Like, uh, the second you sa- said the Grim Monolith in the beginning of the episode, I knew you were a good person. I was like, this is going to be a great episode, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that when I when I saw this deck on uh, on Svenska Magic, I immediately uh, started uh, buying gear up her Edergrids. <laughs> Ooh, one of us. Yes, love it. It was it was super funny. Like in the car, I was like, Robin, you should play this. You can bo- you can lend the cards from me. We only need four podcasts. <laughs> 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 it's like and it's been impossible to get them so it's i think i think robin might have some spice on his way home yep Ooh, nice that is all we have for this week uh, if you think this was a good podcast please help us reach more legacy fans by telling a friend if you want to reach out to us a great way is to join the discord server please find the link in the episode information you can also hit us up on twitter at stockholm legacy S-T-H-L-M Legacy. We are also present personally on some social media. Robin, where can listeners find you? You can find me on the Discord server. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at MonolithMTG. You can also write to me on our Discord. You can ask me about anything. Legacy, pre-modern, which I suck at. Anything. I can also ask you about discrete math. Don't ask me about discrete math, everyone. It's a, it's a risk. If you're willing to take the risk, do it. I suggest you instead try to ask me about discrete math. Uh, I am I am on Twitter at uh, Disco Drogo. Jacob, do you have any social media presence? Not really. I guess you can find me on Facebook or something if you need to reach me. <laughs> and that is the end of the 25th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report. Thank you, Robinson Sin and Christopher Wikström. Extra special thank you, Jakob Bergerin, for joining us. The great Frönes has written our music. You should check them out on Spotify. Until next time, consider some serenity.